Welcome to The Master Plan, a property podcast. I'm Rebecca Shackleton from Polkadot Property. And I'm Nikita Jenkin from Scattered Recruitment. Nikita and I have come together to do this podcast with a goal of unpicking the complexities and the nuances of the property industry. We want to do that by interviewing guests who will offer insights on the industry and their career journeys. We're really excited to have you on this journey with us and we're going to have a lot of fun along the way. Nikita and I are excited to have Elan Samuel with us this morning. Elan is the founder and managing director of Samuel Property, a family-owned Melbourne-based property developer specialising in the high-end multi-residential sector. In just over a decade, the company has quickly emerged as one of Melbourne's most progressive new contributors to the contemporary residential space. Elan is passionate about property and this shows in his hands-on approach across all aspects of the development process. He hopes to leave a lasting impression on the Melbourne property landscape, producing high-quality buildings that can be enjoyed for a lifetime. Welcome, my friend. Uh, Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us. Uh, My pleasure. All right, Alan. So talk to me. um, Tell us a bit about you and how you got to be here. What was your um, first role in property? What's your story? Um, Give us a bit of a summary. So I started off, I guess, as most people do, doing a a business property degree at RMIT, not knowing necessarily exactly what I wanted to do. Um, And I guess gravitated towards the valuation stream. Seemed like the most credible or sturdy qualification I could get from that degree. And uh, the first job I had, third year uni, had to do a a placement. Um, I remember it. I actually went overseas for a couple of months and I came back and all the jobs were really gone. So uh, I landed. But did you have a good time overseas? I had a great time. That's the the most important thing. Where'd you go? uh, I remember we were sort of backpacking through Asia. And uh, as I said, I came back and probably a lot of the more... um, highly sought after jobs were taken. Um, I hadn't thought that through quite, but uh, I was able to land myself a position at the City of Stonington working as a value as assistant, it was called then. And uh, look, it was, a, it was a great learning landing spot. Um, I, I can't say um, it was a great synergy with me in terms of I was pretty keen to go, 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 and everyone there was slow, slow, slow. I was going to say it must be a little bit different in your yeah. office to what you would have experienced at the city of Stonington. Yeah, I mean, back I, in the I day. can always remember, you know, five o'clock being told, what are you doing? Leave, you're making us look you bad. You don't strike me as uh, a council worker. No, all. so I did my sort of 10 or so months and then moved over to the private sector and completed my degree and um, I guess I worked as a valuer for almost eight years. That's um, a long time. In, in valuations, most people yeah, can't a, handle more than maybe a year or two. Yeah, it's a shame that that is the case, but you're right. It definitely is the case. Um, a lot of people do move on and people that I worked with at the time, are no longer they're no longer as valuers, they're still in the industry. Um, I still keep my qualification as a valuer on the chance that everything goes wrong and maybe I have to be back there one day. <laughs> but um, And I'm, I'm a member and I'm actually on the Victorian State Committee at the Institute as well. So I am still keep a close eye on the valuation profession and have a lot of respect for those that have made it into long careers. Do you um, have any um, uh, pieces of advice for pe- young people in in Vales? Obviously, in, in a property degree, there's not yeah. many places you can go after, and a lot of people do go into valuations. What well, would you say to I those? think just to really um, immerse yourself in as many different types of property as you can. So sometimes they can get pigeonholed as an assistant or a newly qualified value or sort of paired up with a quite a senior person that specialises in a certain type of valuations, and that really limits your exposure to the market. Um, if you can get as much experience as you can and obviously try to grow your network and um, really try to understand that there's more to it than, say, bank work, um, there's a lot of consultancy work that can add a lot of value, um, but a lot of people do find themselves doing a lot of that churn work, which is really banking related. That's the feedback I get of uh, candidates wanting to get out of VALS is that they say, I can't keep doing the same thing over and over. So is it a, an industry issue that they get siloed into an asset or is it yeah. the person themselves has to sort of move around and, and ask for greater diversity in their role? Uh, look, it's a bit of both. It depends on the size of the firm, but I think a lot of the larger firms do like to have people yeah, siloed into particular types because they get good at it and that lowers the risk of what you're doing because it's a pretty risky profession, all mm-hmm. things considered. If you if you get it wrong, um, there's ramifications because people are relying on that valuation mm-hmm. in terms of how much money they'll lend and often you're not aware of all the different circumstances or you're relying on information from other people um, that you then form your opinion on and that information could be wrong. So 
But as you said, I guess it's a really good opportunity for someone starting out to get exposure to different asset classes and different types of properties and all of those kind of things. Yeah, really- I think I liken it to, um, I'll probably use a lot of metaphors today, but, you know, if you if you want to get fit, you go to the gym a lot, right? Mm. You just don't go once. Um, what do you mean? You don't. <laughs> 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 Sorry, and, and so I went skiing on the weekend, and um, uh, my first time ever, and I'm now an Olympic skier. Yeah, so um, if you if you if you just do the one thing, or if you don't do it very often, you're not going to be great at it. Is what I'm trying to say. So um, I think if you're if you're pigeonholed or you're not really getting exposure to a lot of different things, it'll make it harder. Because if you do have aspirations to get out of the valuation industry. Um, there's there's a whole other world out there in terms of property. But maybe perseverance as well for people in Vals if they're in it and haven't been in it for very long and are feeling, you know, sort of bored or or it's quite monotonous, persevering. And it, obviously that helped you. After eight years, it's made you a better property developer having um, that eight years experience. I didn't think eight years was a long time. I certainly thought I could have made it quite a long career and um, I quite enjoyed it. I think I was reasonably good at it. And uh, I look at some of the people that have stayed in and I think they're quite successful and um, I think they live, it's quite, a, I wouldn't say comfortable, but they do quite well. And they, um, I think some of the pressures of other parts of the industry, like development, are far greater, the risks and the, I guess the different um, kind of impacts it can have. So um, I, I see it as a really solid option that a lot of people might discount that they shouldn't. And um, I understand that can be quite stressful, but probably some people just need to understand how to manage the client, which might be a banker or internally, and that's a life skill anyway in any mm. job you do. So um, I, I always hear the people, yeah, move on quite quickly. At the time I thought I was probably the, the odd one doing that. A lot of people were really digging in and really enjoying valuations um, or they were going to agency, which was sort of hit, make or break, mm. um, where valuations was just solid. Like you really, as long as you were qualified and you knew, knew how to do the work, um, you could keep advancing and doing more and making more. And I actually saw I had quite sort of high aspirations to get into the um, determination side, which was more of a, I'll say that it's a bit inappropriate, but it's 100% accurate for the time, an old boys club where um, well, it was a really... Well, property, isn't it? Where, well, this particular section of the market was very dominated by five to ten people that were doing all the rental determination work. And I was actually sort of young, up and coming, doing a lot of rental submission work to them. So essentially they would get a submission from either party and then as the umpire or the determining valuer make the decision. And, uh, yeah, there were sort of a few approaches from people to sort of say, do you want to kind of understudy and get into that? And um, when you get appointed to those positions, you sort of write your own number as to what you want to be paid to do the job. Um, as long as you're appointed. So it would have been quite lucrative, but it, it, it just, you know, I had other things calling. Other aspirations. So yeah. what was next after after your life as a valuer? Yeah, so um, I made the decision to, um, it wasn't actually so much I made the decision, I sort of got tapped on the shoulder. Um, my family has a, a building materials business and um, it was sort of at a time where my parents were sort of like, you know, you're either going to join us or you're not. Mm-hmm. And I kind of thought, well, would <laughs> I have to really make a big decision here. But at the same time, I, I didn't want to leave the property industry. And they said, well, you know, we're happy for you to do both. Mm. As in, come work in this business in more of a, um, I guess, a business or operational setting. And you can sort of plug in anywhere you want whilst you um, cut your teeth on the development side that you're interested in and we'll, we'll support you. And I mm. thought that sounds great. I did decide to call the business um, the family surname yeah. and that was quite contentious and it still has But what a great surname. What a perfect oh, okay. I, I, branding I think, opportunity. I think I just, just was uh, too cheap to pay for a market and come up with something better. But I thought, <laughs> it yeah, like good. it's just me and sounds this good. makes sense. Yeah. I didn't really think about it growing into something bigger and bigger. Um, so I stuck with it and... Um, yeah, I, I, I could count the number of times, you know, not, I can't count the number on both hands. The amount of times my mum said, you know, I want you to change it. I don't like it. Oh, really? Um, because they're more private. Yeah. And um, as things get bigger, you know, or their friends might ask them and they don't really want to kind of yeah. talk about that. But um, to me, it, it has always made the most sense because it's it is essentially a family business and mm. it is essentially me. And yeah. um, I put my name to it and I put my, you know, I stand by the projects. And um, even that came up as recently as yesterday, we had a council consultation meeting with, uh, I think it was 40 angry objectors turned up and they were 40? really clear. What about? 
uh, or development application. Okay. Yeah. And, well, we had 75, so only 40 turned up. That was good. But, um, yeah, they were really questioning, you know, who I am and what we're going to do and the quality of the product. Mm. And I said, to them, well, you know, I put my name. They don't up. have uh, Instagram. They don't have LinkedIn. They don't have uh, probably not I think, research into this. Yeah. I mean, I think that all, all that should matter more and I've made a focus from day one to, to have that front and centre in terms of not hiding as a developer and not having like what they call a, is it right, a micro brand, like we just pop out of mm-hmm. nowhere and disappear. It looks good but, you know, no. just tick the box. You need to be able to have some authentic storytelling in market yeah. to communicate what you're doing and what you're all about. So I've tried to build that over a long time to get trust but, um, you know, that takes time. I even say with our any development I like to go a fair bit early to sort of build a, a bit of a digital footprint online so it doesn't just pop out of nowhere. Like you can see things that this was talked about 10 months ago or whatever, this little bit of sort of um, crumbs on the internet mm. and then all of a sudden people go that's that's valid that's real like but as a as a director up. you're also very you're the face of the brand as well you're very vocal and, oh, and you're out there i mean but by it's default a great thing. it's I a mean, great thing that that is by default but at the same time i'm like a face to the name passionate to, to talk and i guess i've been fortunate enough to have a few opportunities like today being invited um or in other settings um i probably um i, I don't hide like i do like to be in the conversation, I've sort of started a few times. I've been kind of, I get as many positive as negative things happen, you know, in LinkedIn, but that's how I get benefit out of a, a platform like that mm. in terms of joining in the conversation rather than sort of being one of those, you know, everybody has a friend that's got an Instagram account that's never made a post, yeah. but they're always liking things. Mm. Yeah. And you're like, well, that's a bit creepy. <laughs> I like to be the person that I'm, I'm giving to get and I'm active participant in the market. So if somebody... But once again, it's authenticity and it's it's seeing the person behind the development and, and knowing that there's, there's a person and a human and, a, and like a dad behind yeah. this development. It's not a corporation. It's not a faceless, well, that's, you know, committee. Yeah, that is, um, yeah, we sort of sit somewhere in between the, I guess, the local developer that isn't visible and they might be a a lawyer or a doctor and they're doing this on the side and this is like a, a passion project for them. They want to sort of, it's like somebody who decides to just renovate their house because how hard can they, how hard can it yeah, be? Yeah, property development's um, easy. That's, you know, when the market's good, they say the cab drivers are all developers and flipping yep. land blocks. Yep. Um, and then I guess you've got people like myself in the middle that we're career, professional, it's not a hobby, it's all we do all day, every day, the good, the bad, everything. Uh, and then at the other end you have the large, you know, listed companies or corporations that are are somewhat faceless, faceless but for whatever reason um, I think they get a lot of ticks in the marketplace because mm. it's like, well, Mervac, like we trust them. Like, mm. Yeah, but who not? is Mervac? Well, I mean, it's 500 people, but who well, is Mervac? I think they're... Their projects stand for themselves, and that's what I think Seven yeah. will do as well. I think when you've got so. runs on the ground and you've got, you know, really strong brand, but then you've got product that backs up the brand story, that's how you can be authentic in, in what you're delivering yeah. to the market. I've, we've had good and bad experiences doing exactly that. I mm. still will always do it, um, but you give people a lot of access and um, it just depends. You, sometimes people's expectations versus reality, mm. um, we really try to marry those two so that um, you know what you're getting. We, we've sort of done a really honest job I think with that with our latest project Louise where um, we could certainly bling it out and it'd be crazy but that's not what people would get mm. so we sort of said like somebody might have said oh why, why is the why doesn't the stone go down the side it's like well because then we'd have to sell it for more and yeah. like you might not be able to afford it and let's yeah. just let's just be honest about yeah. what, what we all need and want and yeah. how we can get from here to there and I think a lot of people go okay yeah like I'll I'll pay that that's that's being a bit more raw and honest Mm. Um, and that's even come from others in the industry. They've walked through our display and they've gone, mm, it's like nothing special, but it's selling mm. because people go, I'm comfortable. Like if you walk And this into- is real and this is what I'm going to yeah, get for I think my money. You- so I think when you go into a display home and it's completely upgraded yeah, and then you speak to the rep not- and they go, well, you know, that's, that's an, an upgrade, that's yeah. an upgrade, and that's an upgrade. Yeah. You don't really understand what you're getting, whereas I think if you're yeah. displaying what you're actually going to get, that's a really um, great and I think also people need to feel comfortable that they um, they can afford it. They're not mm. like I think a lot of people don't like to be um, overindulgent. As mm. in they might here and there, but people are worried about what other people think and say. It's very, you know, that's that Instagram lifestyle now. So um, if you went out and you bought this unbelievable apartment, like some people might be self-conscious about it. Some might love it and splash it everywhere, but um, we just want to make the process as easy as possible to get to the other side. So it's always easy to kind of spec something up 
but you can't really spec it down. Or yeah. if you do, um, people feel like they're just like, oh, I don't want like the, the bad version of that. I'd rather mm. just not have it. Do you think this is probably one of the biggest differentiators between you and your competitors is that you essentially put your yourself in the shoes of your customer? Yeah, um, I yeah, we've been doing that for a while. Um, I think you have to start everything with the end user in mind, like everything, everything you do. Like, would I live here? It's actually funny enough that's we talked about valuations at the beginning. Um, one of my um, sort of first senior valuers, sort of quasi mentors that that I worked with. Um, at the end of every job, we'd go out and look at a property, say, if I was assisting him in the early days. And at the end, he'd always, without a doubt, stand on the other side of the road from the property and just look back at it. Mm. Just like if you've ever seen that Caliban dad where the, it looks at the roof and yeah. sort of admiring the, the proud roof. dad. Oh, I love my roof. And he would always stand back and look at the property and I'd be saying, let's go. Well, what are you doing? Like we've been here, yeah, we've done all the go, work. Um, and, and he'd say, I just like to look at it and just think about the property and what it is, like, almost like, how does it make me feel? And, but also like, do I like it or not? Because would I buy it? Would yeah, I live here? I, and I think it's the same thing when we're looking at locations or we're looking at specs or we're looking at layouts and designs. Um, would I like, if you understand that market and we're Melbourne based and I've lived in Melbourne my whole life. So it was, basically my team and a lot of the people that we work with are the same in terms of architects and um, like, and we just kind of think about, um, yeah, who would want to be here and what. I think if you're just too copycat focused or you're making decisions based on a spreadsheet, you're going to get it wrong, mm. right? And if you don't, if somebody doesn't want what you're doing, then you're not doing, there's no point doing it. Mm. Like development, it's problem solving. That's, that's the whole job problem solving. So if you're not actually solving a problem for anybody, you're not actually doing anything. Like if you're giving them a product they don't need, mm. great. Which is probably a lot it. of properties and a lot of developments out there. I think it's, just, that's a copy-paste mentality yeah. and understanding whether the last project in that area was actually successful or it worked um, or um, just sort of going off what almost like a tick box, like, oh, it's the right suburb, it, yeah. and therefore the you do this. Right. And a lot of the time I think um, decisions can be made with, made by people who aren't actually financially invested into the development. So that's almost like whoever's the developer um, isn't actually understanding and they're relying on an architect or an agent to basically make these decisions like, oh, we think the apartment should be this size or we think Mm. you should do townhouses here. And they don't actually have any skin in the game outside of their fees, which they're going to get how much depending on how far the job progresses. But ultimately, like the developer has to basically make those decisions and yeah. live and die by it. And we've gotten it right and we've gotten it wrong. Mm. Like it, it happens. So how do you, because you talk about people-centric and always considering the end user, how do you engage with your customer as you're going through that kind of planning and design process? Oh, it's, um, I think a lot of the time you sort of know uh, mm. early on. I know that sounds a bit cliche. So, but, but there is there's definitely a gut feel about yeah, yeah. I mean, it's going to be. I guess... We're looking at what sell. Like I am, I'm sort of always on. Mm. So I'm a sponge for information for property. Like I, it's not work for me to read an article or mm. pick up a paper and flick through ads. Um, I like. I think I'm a sort of a natural connector. I find myself talking to a lot of people and quite flowingly talking about the market and not just chit chat, but really try to understand. And that creates um, connections that you can then speak to and get information from. And that's okay. Like I don't like to be transactional, but it's good to. It's good to sort of be on. Um, so constantly following what's working. Um, I think sometimes you don't know and mm. you just have to go for it. Um, and I've, we've done that on projects where, where we, you know, I remember Turner in Glen Iris, we were 115 square meter average apartments, quite high spec, um, never been done like that before at the mm. time. The market was essentially you do 65, 75 square meter apartments and if someone's got a lot of money, they might put two together. But mm. you don't start with such large apartments. And um, we didn't. I said, no, I think that's actually what people want. And not everybody wants to do the work to put it together and they just want to see it's mm. done. And we were selling like $2 million an hour launch weekend. Wow. We'd sold out in 10 weeks, $40 million. Like it moved. Mm. Sometimes it's good to zig rather zag. Mm. Like if you're doing the exact same thing, you're not solving that problem. So, um, you know, again, Louise, just off St Kilda Road, we average 80 square metre apartments mm. in and at St Kilda Road Precinct. It, they are a lot larger, the spec is a lot higher and the prices are a lot higher 
And developers value as people in the industry a lot of the time talk rate per square meters. Mm. But what they often forget is that a buyer is just like, I've got two million. I've got one million. They're not sitting there analyzing sales against other apartments. And I mean, some do. Don't get me wrong. Some do, but they're not kind of Only working. If they out. work in property, probably. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. We get a couple every so often. They're yeah. like sitting there doing the math. Like, great. Thanks. We know, but we don't care. Yeah. Like, that's our price. Yeah. Um, thanks for telling us that we're 10% more expensive. Like, yeah. But yeah. you still want us. Like, you're telling us that for a reason. Yeah. You're sitting there. Um, so a lot of it is, I think, in a way, almost psychology, just thinking about the other person's journey and what they're doing and what they like and to make it as easy as possible. Um, but really, again, that problem solving. So are we creating apartments that of size that people still want to be in this area? And um, I, I always say the journey starts from the location. Mm. So, again, if you're people-centric or person-centric and you, um, you you think about the journey that they'll take on a property, that if you go into domain, real estate, any of the websites, the first thing you type, it's like four search um, entry points you have to make to actually find something. The first thing you put in is the location, location yeah. right? So if you get the location wrong, forget it. You're like mm-hmm. you got to you got to um, fish where the fish are. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so if you don't if you don't get the location right, like in an area that people want product, you you're off. And then the next thing is the, the product type. So if you can do a diverse product, um, at Louise we've got one, two, three, and four bedroom apartments. So we can't really get that wrong, right? Mm. And the other thing that attracted me to a project like Louise is if you think back to um, the dark days of 2020 or 21 where you had these f- bubbles, you know, 5, 10, whatever mm. kilometre radiuses, if you if you actually look at the radiuses of certain sites, mm. you think about how much you can capture, um, you can capture a whole lot from St Kilda Road. Mm. Like you're basically hitting into Richmond, Port Melbourne, St Kilda, Windsor, Paran, like your catchment is really Mm. great and it's very dense. So, again, if you're sort of like a upside-down funnel or actually not upside-down, the funnel, <laughs> you, you, uh, you, uh, the funnel is wide, yep. right? And that's great for marketing. Yep. It's great for clicks. Um, but that just gives you a lot more people bite looking, right? So back to realestate.com or whatever, get the location right, get the product right. And then, again, it's a bit of a choose-your-adventure, right? Mm. So people don't know what's out there and they don't know what the price is. They're the ones putting in the price. Mm. It's like imagine walking into Gucci and saying, I want a dress and I want to spend it for $500. And they're Mm. like, well, we don't have it. But that's how property works. You put in the price and then it gives you the results. Mm. And if you match, if you line it up, then you're going to have success. But if you don't match it up, then you're going to be sitting there. Mm. Like we've got apartments in Turak and people put in inquiries and like, it's totally a mismatch. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's and again, I'm not trying to be rude, but it, it's essentially you know, champagne taste beer budget. Mm. It doesn't it doesn't fit. So when you can start to line those all those up, well, that's why a project's going to be successful because people you're giving them what they want, um, and there's no disconnect. Yeah, and your project marketing is unconventional. You have taken a bit of a different pathway to other developers and it's really worked very well. And do you think that's why? Because you're really thinking about the audience first and yeah. foremost and going, who are these people? What can they afford? How are we going to talk to them? And then using things like your reels and all of the different kind of tactics that you're using beyond the realestate.com or the domain or the, yeah. the traditional property channels. Can you talk about that a little bit just in yeah. terms of your strategy? Because it is, you know, I think a lot of our listeners would be really interested in your approach. Um, well, I'm passionate about my projects. And so I want to see them in the marketplace in the best light. And I think there's sort of there's a couple of aspects to marketing. One is to get sales. Um, the other is to promote the project in the right light for those that want to work with, work on it. And I think that's often forgotten. So we, we're always selling, right? We're selling to try to get sales, of course, but we're, you know, I'm selling to try to get a lender, right? Mm-hmm. Somebody wants to believe in the project. I'm trying to sell to get a builder. Like we want to build Louise. This is a great project. Mm-hmm. They see benefit in partnering with us. Uh, and then obviously I'm talking to the industry. And I'm trying to engage and say, like, we do cool stuff too mm. and we want respect in our place um, in the conversation in terms of um, marketing. And, and um, I think you've got to align with a creative and a project marketing, um, so agency and, create, and creative that believe in the vision. Mm. But then you have to have a vision. Mm. Um, for me, um, I, you know, I think I said before I like to zig when others zag. Um, I, th- I feel like copy-paste or, or copycat industry won't get you results. It's, it's a crowded space. Mm. And um, if I feel like I've seen it before, it's not really going to resonate with me. And um, 
sometimes a, a project allows you to be more creative. Mm. So um, our project in Brighton Willow, um, it's beautiful, but it's it's bright and it's quiet and um, it doesn't it it just can't take that big energy. Mm. Um, it doesn't. It doesn't. It's not going to fit well with the Missy Elliott soundtrack at the back. Yeah. And, I think you could make it work. Um, look, <laughs> at this point in time, I'm, I'm willing to try anything. Actually, there was a, a video this morning I saw of um, a, a one million dollar drug bust in America, and the police department put out a video using um, some rappers one milli song yeah. to say we just you know as their marketing video about yeah, their, yeah, I can, I can their crimes it. you know spree and finding the you know the bad guys well content is king and i think you want it to spread like wildfire um you know the the real estate listing portals have a place they're mm-hmm. established um but they the results they provide and the costs um are really much higher nowadays and um that requires developers and marketers and, and agents to find avenues at lower costs um now those leads may not be as good but they can be um you know, very targeted. So we haven't done this by chance. We have, you know, content creation agency mm. that works in with a creative agency that works in with a, a market, essentially a uh, sales agency that has a, I guess, a digital marketing focus. And then we have a digital marketing company that places the ads mm. out and optimizes them constantly. Mm. So we're constantly churning that to get, like, if you're walking to brand market and you open Instagram, I want to serve you an ad. Mm. Um, and we want to, we want to basically capture you. And we've actually said, or I've said, like, I'm happy to be that creepy company that just keeps following yeah. you around. Yeah. Um, because I don't mind. A bit of stalking. Yeah. I don't mind. Um, now that would upset so some buyers. So instead of the iPhone listening, it's Samuel Properties listening <laughs> yeah. to your conversation. Yeah. Before, I, I mean, know where you're going. A lot of people say, oh, I keep seeing Louise. Yeah. I'm like, well, yeah, well, yeah that's the purpose. Yeah, yeah. Um, we're happy to just keep throwing the money to try to see what sticks. But regardless and, of all these different players in your, in your um, you know, factory line, they're all consistently telling a story and they're working together yeah. to tell your story. And people buy with emotion. People buy the story and then justify later. I think it, I think it comes from it's not, um, it's not one of their ideas. It's, it's everybody's on board. And a lot of the time um, when if I get asked what, a, what does a developer do or how do you do a development, um, or someone says, oh, so you're the builder. Like, no, I'm not the builder. Mm. Oh, so you're, you're the agent. No, I'm not the agent. Mm. What are you? You're the and umbrella. I, you're, well, yeah, you've well, got the way I kind of explain it is that we're the conductor of the orchestra. Yes. So the conductor makes the music sound great. And um, I don't play any instruments, but I, I know how to make the instruments play good music. But the symphony is not a symphony without the violin and the cello exactly. and the flute yeah. and the conductor keeping them You need a lot more pieces in the uh, orchestra these days. Yeah, I don't know. I couldn't think of any usual. other instruments. No, no, no. But <laughs> there are a lot of people that we work with more so than the early days you would just, uh, you know, an agent and a creative company that you basically started and finished mm-hmm. and then off you went. Now it's constant touch points and updating to keep fresh. But this probably um, leads into relationships as well. You as the development manager, you know exactly where every single one of your consultants blends and, and contributes into your story. You're not just, you know, giving orders or or being told you're, again, conducting. It's a two-way street. Together. Like we have to listen. I don't ever pretend that I know how to design a building better than an architect. Um, likewise, I, I, you know, I don't say to the creative agency, oh, you know, you should change these colours and this and that. Like we have open conversations, but we certainly don't think that we can do other people's jobs. When you say we, you are a very small team. There is only three of you, which actually people might be surprised. How do you manage all of these projects and, all, you know, everything that's going on, just the three of you? I mean, I think we manage pretty easily. <laughs> the guys, if they listen to this, will hate me. But um, <laughs> they'll definitely listen to this. I, <laughs> I I feel like there's more time to do more work. Probably if I had, if I had more money, I'd be buying more things and doing more things. Like I, um, I, I think it's just about. Like I sometimes say, it's a bit like, uh, um, you know, I like sports being match fit. So you know, being able to just go out there and play the game, right? You've got to be in, you know, ready to go, um, in condition. So we don't sort of, you know take days or weeks off, we're, we're pretty on it. And I like to think if you can do something, you should always do it straight away. So, um, you know, I'm a bit, um, I don't know what the right what right term is, but like I, I like a clean inbox. Is it OCD? A tight ship. I, I like to get things done. If it can be done, mm-hmm. just do it. Mm-hmm. And um, if it's with us, then it's not with them. Mm-hmm. And then th- that creates excuses. And productivity in the marketplace at the moment I think is 
at an all-time low in terms of mm. my career and working with others. Um, work from home is flexible and it's great, but it, I, I think nobody could argue that in some industries and respects, it's this may be controversial, it's it's uh, affected productivity and um, I we're really having to push hard to get things done mm. and to get things done on the timeframes that we want. So I'm um, with you. I don't like to scroll in my inbox. If I can scroll, I need to go through yeah. and sort out my inbox. I don't understand how pe- like everything I have in mind goes to a folder and goes to a certain place and my and it's clean. Mm. And people who open and have 50 emails, like I can't handle I don't that. mind how you do it as long as you do it. Um, I think for me, I just I like to keep things moving and um, yeah, I don't. I think you get better at what you do over time as well. And if you work with so the efficiency. same people. Yeah, I think we work a lot of like, like I said, it's problem solving, right? So mm. if you, you start a new project and you've got a new engineer and they're, they're difficult to manage, then that's going to take more of your time and resource mm. and to get the right outcomes. When you work with people, and we don't always work with the same people, but when you work with people that you've done before and you trust and also you get the right fit. So a lot of time people are, are sort of trying to work with a company that might not necessarily be the right fit for the project. And so you're sort of trying to get their attention. Mm. But they don't really care about, say, your little townhouse project. They're doing a tower in the city and you might have a junior, and like, which is fine somewhere, but it's the wrong fit. Um, we might work with companies that are more aligned with what we're doing and we'll deal with the principals at a meeting and mm. they'll be on the emails and they have the interest too. And, and I always say, like, guys, a lot of them work for fi- fixed fees, right? It's like, so do you want to do this job over four months and get paid the same amount of money over four months? Or should we smash it out in three months and you get paid the same amount in three months? How <laughs> yeah. good does that sound? Yeah, let's go. Because that's the reality, right? Like we're going to still pay, but time in development is everything. You can't get it back. Time kills And um, yeah, and so for us, I even though people say, oh, you've got plenty of time, it's like, well, kind of rather, I'd rather just have it done. Yeah. So talking about being so generous with your time with other people, if you could go back to 20-year-old Elan, what, would you, what advice would you give him? Uh, well, I would have said try to get mentors and speak to more people. Um, I think, yeah, I was definitely um, naive or perhaps stupid to just think that like, yeah, you can get some money and do a development and what I understood or what I knew from uni or what I was learning at the time um, was all accurate. There's there's um, theory and there's practical and they're quite different and um, even a lot of people in the industry don't, quite know it's sort of like one of those things until you've actually walked a mile Mm. you don't fully appreciate all the things that happen and uh in development um it's not like it's not a straight line it's not um uh there's always new things that you have to encounter and work through so the more time you can spend with people who have kind of done that process the better um and I probably just didn't and I really I somewhat regret it and that's part of why I do kind of put time into others. I've done mentoring programs, um, a bit embarrassing. I thought I was going to get mentored, but I was the senior mentor. <laughs> and I was like, oh, wow, this is happening. I was like, oh, my God. Um, Did you just sit there looking at each other for a while until you I was like, I'm 41, out. <laughs> far out. Like how does that, like how am I the senior mentor? But it was really interesting to learn yeah. from, you know, a 20 and a 30-year-old. Um, and, you know, at times I just wanted to shake the 20-year-old and be like, mm. wake up. Like it's go time. Like yeah. you're ready to go. Yeah. Like don't waste the next five years. That'll set yourself up. Um, but then at the same time, similar with the 30 year old, I was like, Hey, hey, just lower your eyes. Like you got to grind this part out and really establish yourself. And then you can take some mm. chances and, you know, don't wait till you're 50, but I'm just saying like, I get it, but just, you want to be the boss. Like mm. you got to slow down. Um, unless, unless you're just going to, you know, t- just quit and take a risk like I did, which again, looking back. Would, would not you, recommend. Would you do <laughs> anything out, differently in, in running your own development business now after 15 years? You know, what would you change um, in that aspect? Great question. Because a lot of people want to run their own show. I think you don't learn from always being right. So I've made mistakes and I've really learned from the mistakes far more than I've learned from being right. Mm. Um, and there's a bit of a, um, I think in development, there's a bit of a um, habit that when you're right, you're just like, yep, yeah, cool, we were right and keep going. And so you expect to always be right. And when you're, when you're wrong, people really lament it and can get them really down and like I said, I haven't had many mentors, but I have had a chance to obviously meet with a few people along the way. And, you know, one said to me, like, you're going to get one in 10 wrong, mm. like just straight up. And I was like, what? And like, yeah, you're going to lose money, one in 10 developments. Like, make sure it's not more than that. Like, and I was like, well, lose money. And they're like, yeah, you're going to like mm. make no money and you might lose your equity. 
which might sound crazy to people, like, wait, so I'm going to do all this work and mm. I'm going to not even make any money but I'm actually going to lose the money that I put in. And he's like, yeah, 100% and you need to be comfortable with that. And uh, it was pretty confronting but it's great advice because it's true. What Starting, are you most proud of, project or business um, or life? Oh, I think, you know, I can hold my head up high that I think I've done some really nice projects that um, I won't drive past and kind of, you know, <laughs> cover, put, cover my face. Um, I'm still happy to go back and look at them. Um, they're all, you know, fit for purpose and for the right place at the right time. Um, I think we have been good to work with and fair and reasonable with everybody and honest. So that's something that I pride myself as a person and as a business owner, um, you know, if I'm burnt people or anything mm-hmm. like that. Um, and then in terms of projects, um, I'm pretty excited about the ones coming up. Mm. It's kind of they're the new shiny toys to a degree and also it's a really, I guess it's a really change of scale, like to go from three, four-level apartment buildings to now doing something 16 levels is quite a big jump mm. and it's really consuming. But then also mixing it up, we're doing, you know, 70 townhouses uh, on the peninsula, which is, again, a quite big change of pace. Um, but, yeah, projects that I've been really proud of, I mentioned Turner before, um, that was a huge success um, that really, to me, financially, mental well-being, it was everything worked. It was a good market, but um, I don't think I could ever do a development more efficiently than that. <laughs> what do you think are the biggest challenges in the market today for developers in, in apartments and, and sort of mid-density? Yeah, projects? I think probably most developers would say um, finding projects that, that financially make sense. So um, we've seen over the last couple of years land values stay um, consistent, the same. So there's not nobody wants to sell their land for less. They're not making any more land. Mm-hmm. Certainly land that's um, development um, uh, zoned appropriate for development in areas that you want to do a development. So land is staying the same price. In that same period of time, you've had construction prices go up 20 25% and they'll probably remain steady. They, they won't continue to grow is my opinion, but they'll probably remain static mm. from this point. So that price has gone up. And then you have sale values that um, haven't gone up to that same extent, so that's a problem. Mm. And then you have interest rates that have probably doubled. Mm. And when I talk about doubled, like a developer doesn't borrow money the same as a mum and dad who's buying a house. It's a totally different um, financial um, stack of of money. Mm. So the interest rates and the construction costs being up, the land being the same, and then the sales rates haven't grown. They've either remained the same or they've modestly grown you can't get the return and you can't do a development just because you want to. Mm. Like if it doesn't make money, no one will support you in terms of a lender and unless you're paying cash and you're just going to do it, like that's hard. It's not going to happen. Um, there'd be almost no one doing that. So um, you do. it all kind of comes back to the banks and if you can't get the risk to return right, um, you're not going to find a site and I think that's an issue. People are finding it hard to find sites. Um, I think what needs to happen in the market is sales rates have to go up that's not going to be easy as people continually talk about affordability. Um, affordability and I think confidence is a real challenge as well, that yeah. the market feels, you know, that the, it's given some of the things that have happened in the property market. Yeah. It's a much more difficult sales journey now for people to go on and, and to actually build that confidence in your consumer that it, this is what you're buying into, this is who we are, we're going to build it, we're going to actually yeah. deliver this thing. But that's a that's a real challenge. No, no, absolutely, I agree. Um, and, you know, I take close notice of the rest of the market. So if a builder goes broke, that's like even if I'm not, if I'm not working with them, that's a really mm. bad thing. If a developer, if, if something's delayed, if there's an issue, like I want it to be good for everybody mm. because I want that general sentiment to be great. And the way that the market is in terms of, I guess, the government um, incentives and taxes, there isn't really any mm. or much. So what are the reasons that you would buy off the plan? It might be because you um, you want to, it's sort of like, it's, I kind of say it's like afterpay. It's not because you don't get it now. But you lock it in at the price now mm. and maybe if the price goes up and it's built in two years, that's great. But also some people just want to kind of go, that's done. I, I'm not going to be renting in two years' time. I've, I've bought this property, I've paid a deposit, and I can now start thinking about right, saving more money. Mm. So for some people they love the kind of lock it in, plan ahead. And they don't like to go on the roller coaster of, you know, going to auctions every weekend and like, maybe I'll buy it, maybe I won't, get my get my lawyer to look at a contract, get a, a, a broker or a banker to look at it, and then they just get outbid by 10 grand, like start mm. all over again. So property is kind of nice off mm. the plan because 
you're contr- you're in control of the journey. You can pick when you go to the spa, what you buy, and you've got a good idea as to when it's going to be finished. So it's on your terms almost. It's right? on your terms, yeah. and that's what we've been promoting. Yeah. I guess there's an element of customization, which some people do enjoy. You know, we had a guy who was six foot ten once, and we raised the shower head for him higher. And you six do foot things. Ten. Yeah, you do things for people that they would have. Basketball court in. Yeah, well, <laughs> I should have recruited him. But you, you, <laughs> you know, you could, if you're buying a property that was already built, you'd have to go make that change yourself. Yeah. So some people do have. Um, you know, intrinsic things that they want and we can work with them to do it. So that's definitely a benefit. And then I guess um, you, you've got like, yes, yeah, say on sort of finishes and the like. But from a financial perspective, it's hard and it also involves people trust. Um, I think often we've seen them with our projects on resale, they've sold for more, which is really gives me confidence that somebody buying is, is going to make money and we want them to make money um, because we certainly price them um, as aggressively as we can for the buyer. So I'm not trying to make any more money mm. than I need to to make the project financially viable, but I do need to make a return. And I need to be honest about that with buyers and the market because you don't begrudge the uh, coffee shop that makes a dollar on each coffee. Mm. They just If they don't make a dollar, they can't make more coffees the next day. If we don't make money, we can't keep going either. So there's a big stigma that developers are greedy. Um, we're, just, we're just business people. Like mm. we're just trying to make a particular return. Um, I think if a lot of people saw what the real return was, they would be shocked at yeah. sometimes how low it is. And if they amortised based on based on the number of years on a development, they'd say, well, I wouldn't do that. That's, 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 that's crazy. <laughs> Why are people right? doing this? Like, like, like it took you four years to make half a million dollars. That's like that's not really that much money given the amount of money that you put out and the risks associated. So I think that's where, again, I, to answer your question, Nikita, was like, well, banks really kind of control what happens because if they don't think the risk to return is there, then they won't support a development and um, that makes it hard for developers to actually go buy things with confidence. Um, and then other issues really are probably the uncertainty on planning and the timing mm. is is really hard. Mm. On that subject of banks, and I think it incorporates a lot of the things we've been speaking about, government regulation, um, ticking boxes, losing money, I want to talk about a subject, uh, ESG. So, Beck, you were recently on uh, a panel for UDIA. Mm -hmm. I'm now on um, one of the UDIA diversity committees. And, Alain, we were speaking earlier before uh, we jumped in this room. You recently came from an ESG meeting or? Yeah, I was interviewed. Yeah. So, do you want to talk about that? um, What happened? First time I've been interviewed, like in a job interview setting for a while, but. yeah, it's 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 obviously here to stay and that's a good thing and it's something that we embody in our developments in terms of our sustainability initiatives. So we are very green and I, I was talking about social licence. So do you have the ability to say what you're saying? And so I don't think I have a green licence intrinsically. Like I'm not a green champion warrior, but the projects are. Me as a person, I just do the right thing, right? Um, but in this instance, in this interview yesterday, um, it was a lender and they were trying to understand our credentials and I guess how um, how much we're taking that on board and that would factor into their willingness to lend money or the rate that they would lend money. And that's not a one-off um, isolated incident. That seems to be quite across that lending space um, that they want to make sure that the money is going to businesses and to developments that are sustainable front, front and centre and not just doing the minimum. But it's not just that they want that. There's actually penalties as well if you don't comply. Yeah, there comply. is. Yeah, we'll comply. We'll comply. Um, <laughs> I always Speaking comply. of losing money, you need to comply or, or else. Yeah, it was a little bit like that. and um, But I see that as a positive. Um, sometimes if, um, you know, things don't get pushed along, they don't happen. So um, that's obviously something they're passionate about. And as I said, I don't think I have that social license that I'm passionate about it. But I'm a willing participant, right? Like if you give me two bins and I'm holding something that's recyclable, I put it in the right bin. Um, I certainly don't print things unnecessarily. Like mm. we do the right thing. And in this instance, that's something that is a priority to them. So we will do it. But um, I hadn't really thought about it from a business setting so much because we are a small team. Yeah. Just the practicalities of having um, ESG um, policies and initiatives in place. What Difficult does it to mean? be diverse if you've got a team of three. It's hard, but also, um, you know, ESG means so much more than just yeah. green. And to me, that's what it means. But yeah, there is as, so much as more. As a developer, what are some of the um, things that you need to be focusing on? Or what are the, some of the variables that you need to control in regards to that ESG piece? 
Yeah, I mean, we so from a from an actual project basis, um, we always will work with a sustainability consultant, um, and we always try to put in, I guess, um, more than the minimum. So, an example, um, we did a development application in Phillip Island last year, and there's there's no requirements for ESG in that council, but we did it anyway because we recognise that. Council and the community wanted to see those sort of the community, the insects. customer at the end. Wants yeah, to buy well, I'm trolling. I'm trolling all the Facebook groups trying to read what they're saying about us. Yeah, and, and I can see that. So we put in those sustainability items, and that was a real tick. Um, same thing down in Dramana. Um, people want to know. So we're not like in that instance. To it, the the rating is uh, a best score B E double S. And um, what does that stand for? Uh, I don't know. See, that's my social <laughs> yeah, license. Know? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but essentially, <laughs> we need um, to look this up. Essentially, I think that the pass is 50, right? And um, we're 71. So so we're like design excellence. Mm. So we've gone over and above. We've got, you know. All, well, there's all... so many different ways of measuring sustainability. Yeah, it's a scorecard. It's a all scorecard. All of the scorecards and that there's yeah. not just one. And everyone always talks about the um, NATHAS, NAT, yeah, And, um, you know, but that's just, that's one one small part of a much bigger picture. Yeah. So we're, I mean, we're, we're kind of. We're doing what we can in the developments. Um, does it add value? Or sorry, does it add value in terms of dollars? Probably not. Does it add value to the end user? Absolutely. Um, in terms of if we swing it back to housing affordability, um, the, if your house is running more efficiently, if you've got mm. a more um, you know efficient dishwasher or taps or appliances, that's going to lower your operating costs. Saves right? you money. Likewise, yeah. if you've got um, you know in in Dramana, we've got a, um, a sustainability zone which has got organics and compost, right? Mm. So not everybody in their townhouse would have space for that, right? Or they'd want to do it. But if we've got a community zone where people can do that and they can plant their own vegetables and the, and the like, and you know, I hope it doesn't come off sounding like idealist. Like we fully hope that people. Um, you know, join in on that whenever it, whenever it happens. Most people want to do the right thing and I think most people yeah. want to participate with a project or, um, you know, that's going to be good for the planet at the end of Absolutely. the day. Like people are really a lot more conscious about that. I know, you know, myself and my husband definitely look at all of those things when we're looking at, at buying property. Yeah. And that was a deciding factor when we bought an apartment off the plan a few years ago. Yeah, um, well... We qualify at Louise for green home loans. Yeah. So yeah, that's again, good. That's fantastic. Um, you know, if that's something that you want, that's a bank that'll give you a, a discount because it's it's a sustainable property mm. and that then goes into their bucket. Yeah. So do you have a dog area though? Like are you a dog friendly apartment? Nikita's we, always uh, a good um prospect like when we do these because yeah. she'll probably buy an apartment in Louise after this. Well, we do have a we do have a dog wash uh bay in the uh, in the basement. Well so there you go. Wash Sign a dog. Me up. I'm not about making my own vegetables. I can't Cool. No, but, but it's, I'm all about the dog it's quite funny because to me, I looked at it and I thought to myself, so we've got this development that's opposite Upper Park Lake and it's opposite Faulkner Park. Yeah. And these are great. I'm, I'm a runner, so I like to run. So these are great places to run. But obviously when you run, you're walking their dogs all the time. And in winter, the dog's feet get dirty. And then if you go back to a yes. practical sense and you go, well, there are all these apartments, we've got yeah. 100 apartments, like eight of them have bathtubs. So like what do the other people do? Like how do you wash your dog's feet if you yeah. don't have a bathtub? Shower, but that's painful. So we'll put, put put like a tub in the basement so you can wash your dog's feet and then Perfect. take it upstairs. You're a thinker. Um, I like it. So yeah, problem solving again. But then okay, if you think that's like ESG and good vibes, great. But I was just trying to solve a problem, and I thought well, that's a that's a tub, that's a water point. If we design it early, it's super easy to do. If someone tries to do it, you know, five years time when the building's built, it's probably impossible mm. right, to get water there and to retrofit. Yeah, so but it's really understanding your end user, which is you know, again at the start, what you're really talking about, like who's who are the people that are going to live in the building? What are some of their their you know what are the challenges that might have a dog that needs to be washed? So how people, do we solve that? Yeah, a lot of people um, yeah do do live with dogs in apartments. Loads it's of pretty them. common, and yeah. again, um, like to take in the amenity of the area, which is phenomenal. So again, it's just probably spending time in an area like I. Um, early days, you know, trying to understand areas like you just kind of people watch, which I like to do anyway. Mm. But you go to a cafe and sort of see what's happening. Um, I remember I did that in like 10 years ago in Blackburn. I went and had a little sandwich and I, one, I couldn't believe how expensive the sandwich was. And I was like, okay, this place is probably going places. People are dropping 12 bucks on a sandwich without a worry in the world. Yeah. Again, 10 years ago. And same thing in Phillip Island. Like, just, it was, I think it was like $15 a sandwich now. 
And I was like, this is a good I just paid test. $17 for a wrap at Mount Hotham on the weekend. <laughs> that's the snow though. I think that's a little bit. Oh, my yeah, God. Eight dollars for a can of Again, <laughs> again, like if we're just trying to think yeah. about it, like if, if, if people are in an area and they're, they've got a disposable income and they're happily spending it, it probably sells, tells you a, mm. like a story, or at least I'm mm. selling myself that it does, that this is a change in the area yeah. um, if everybody's. I completely, I couldn't agree more. I've always said to my team, if we're working on a new project, immerse yourself in the suburb, go and get the train out there, go and sit at a cafe, do your groceries there, actually understand the people that are in and around the suburb. And that is the best, that's going to get so much more from that than you will spending a hundred grand on a market research piece to tell you who the market is. But this relates back to your strategy in general. And when we had Nick, you know, we were talking about the, the, um, the marketing campaigns that are always the grandparents in the field mm. and it's been done, it actually has no relevance to the actual buyer yeah. and, the, and the end user and how those people are going to use that area, which is what a lot of developers, I think, miss that mark and they think we've covered the marketing piece, mm. but it's not actually Understanding a researched, yeah. you know, thought about. Like to me, you just put a lot of thought into everything and it's and it's doing very well, well for you. There's a lot of risk. We have to really not make those mistakes. So um, I don't I don't really see it as work or thought. I'm just kind of just doing it because that's what you probably should do. I yeah. Like if you're going to make an you investment. You should, but not everyone does. I think that's the put it, point. Put it this way. Like a development is like, like, a, like a, a, a relationship, a really intense relationship for like four years, mm-hmm. say on average. So you, you don't like... You wouldn't be in a relationship unless you wanted to be in a relationship, or you certainly shouldn't be in one if you don't want mm. to be there. That's my opinion. So, um, very good if advice. you're going to be there, be there. And if you like somebody, you want to know everything about them and you want to make them happy and all that sort of stuff. So, it's no different in a development <laughs> that you would, you would take the effort and the it's time marriage, to really know? be it. And the good thing about the development is you can see the end, right? Well, maybe it's a good thing, but you, <laughs> like, I know, like, I've had projects like, we did one in Hampton. We go. I went there for like all the time for three years. Yeah. And in the lead up to it, I'm sitting on ha- on Hampton Street and I'm looking at all people and getting a really good idea as to what our buyers like and don't like. And that's before we even buy, but certainly once we bought, we're really on it. Um, I've been back to Hampton really since. Like, mm. There's no need to me that that relationship that's finished. A different life. But yeah. I put my all into that relationship, <laughs> and it really worked for me. Um, in that in that setting, right? Yeah. Where if it's like sometimes if there's no end, people. You know, they lose the spark. Mm. Like, oh, you used to buy me flowers, and you know, now you do nothing. <laughs> um, I know that with the project. Have you been? Someone said that to you before? Maybe, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I know that we can really put our all into it and kind of immerse. And also, things change over time, so you've got a finite kind of period where you can really go, like, okay, I think this is what this moment in time looks like in Hampton. In 10 years it could be different, but mm. right now we don't have to think about 10 years ahead. We just need to knock this out for the next three, four years and this is what's happening right now. Mm. Areas don't change like overnight. They change but it takes time. So the products that we did in uh, in Blackburn in like 2020, 2012, 2013, I wouldn't do that project today. It wouldn't, it wouldn't be the same type of project, right? But then it was totally... Um, right for the area, the, the, the spec, the size, all that sort of stuff. Mm. Um, but that's 10 years ago now. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of right now and things that are probably relevant and topical, uh, I went and saw Barbie, the movie, last night and I know you're taking your girls to see that on the weekend. Haven't seen it but as a marketer could talk about the marketing yeah, the budget, for another hour. Right? Amazing. Yeah. Um, my question is you're uh, a single dad with two girls. Yep. Do you have any, and for anyone who hasn't seen Barbie or goes to see it, they'll probably understand why I'm going on this tangent or on this subject, but do you have any thoughts about raising girls in uh, when you yourself are involved in a very male-dominated industry? And further to that, would you want them to go into property? Do you have visions for that? You know, you're a girl dad. So yeah. talk to us about that. But a very, you know, in a, in a boys' club environment, but you're a girl dad. Yeah, Um I'm looking forward to seeing it. Hopefully it's good. Hopefully I'm not bored. Um, but they're very excited that I'm taking them, so that's definitely a big, big tick for me. Um, I I don't – I know this whole diversity piece. Like I don't – I said before, I don't really look at men, women. It's just everyone's everybody, People. right? Um, so I don't – I would hate to think that – I mean, they're 10 and 7. I'd hate to think in 10, 15 years that there's any roadblocks or any issues. Like 
Um, sometimes when this stuff comes up, I kind of roll my eyes, like not, not in this setting, but um, where people are sort of really acknowledging it and I'm like, why even talking about it? It's not a thing. It shouldn't be a thing. It shouldn't be part of the conversation. It should just be like accepted. But to historically me. it has been. I think that's Oh, no, like, I don't disagree yeah. with that. But if we keep thinking that way, then we need to, like in my mind, we need to move away from that. Mm. This is just what it is. Like, mm. like we're all the same men, women. We can all do the same jobs. There's no discrimination differentiation we've all got equal rights Mm. there's no there should be no roadblocks for my girls to anything they want to do happy if they want to follow footsteps and if I'm still around and Mm -hmm. I can kind of hey how's how's that project going you know I'm on the boat let me know but but they uh that's not a stereotype but call me tomorrow (laughs) yeah yeah whatever it might be um but they'll just do whatever they want to do um I'm just trying to give them the um, you know, my parenting principles is, is, is probably not that dissimilar to property is to have a, like a growth mindset. So just be open-minded to everything. Um, because if you're closed-minded, you, you'll be, you know, too, too, too much friction and too much hesitation. Like we can't just do the things the way we did it 20 years ago. You have to think about like anyone could teach anybody anything and you're not always right. And you need to like, there's new ways of doing things that could always be better. So that growth mindset. And then I guess just resilience. So it may be difficult for somebody, um, like, like, I don't know, like, will it be difficult for them because they're female? Has my journey been difficult? Like I'm Jewish. Does that play into anything? I don't think so. Would it, could it? Um, but you need to be resilient and just kind of get through it. Like it's not always going to be first take perfect. Um, but if you're resilient, I think anyone will find a way and be successful. Like Mm. they'll get the job that they want or they'll get the client they want. Um, and we we miss out on things all the time, and it's like, well, what do you? How do you do to get, get, pick yourself back up again? It's that level of resilience. So, um, yeah, my sort of three things. I one I haven't said yet, but it's growth mindset, resilience, and then moderation. So everything's good to an extent. Yeah. Um, too much of anything is is no good for the body or the mind. And um, you know, if they want to be involved, that's good. If they don't, that's also fine. I asked my daughter. Actually, I didn't ask her. She got asked at a school, what do you want to be when you grow up? Um, and she said me. And I was like, oh, that's so cute. And I was like, oh, but answer the question. <laughs> uh, so, you know, the other one said she wants to be a vlogger. So, oh. And I was like. She might be able to take over your digital marketing. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, look, it'll, it'll, all, it'll all change as to things that they get interested over time. Yeah. But my biggest thing is to give them that foundation, that building blocks to just enjoy learning and I think um, also try to set a good example seeing, you know, dad works hard. Mm. So I'm not, I'm physically present and. I was going to ask that. Do you have any comments on, on raising children and, and the dad role, you know, a father role when you are running a business, property is not a nine to five. Yeah. Look, it's very. A lot of men struggle with that and, and being present with their children. Yeah. Look, it's very different to what it was for me in my, you know, Growing up, my dad was very much like work, work, work. My mum did all the sort of family stuff and my dad was always pretty full on high high energy and then come the weekend it was like a different person because I guess back then, you know, emails aren't chasing you yeah. and you can just sort of switch off. Like, Dad's, have a mobile. Dad's great. Yeah. He's so nice on the weekends. Yeah. <laughs> um, takes me to basketball games. Um, now you've obviously got to balance it. So, I mean, I'm I'm very aware and respectful. I've got to have to run a very tight diary um, in terms of the time, but I set boundaries. So, um, you know, I don't want to be you know, in the kitchen making dinner for them on on a call. Like I want to enjoy that time I have with them. Um, You only get to be a dad um, or a mum at that point in time once. Like the kids are only 10 and 7 once and you blink and it goes. And every moment is important, like when they're whatever age, but it goes. So you want to enjoy that time. And, um, you know, it can mean that you've got to sort of wake work back later and you take that sacrifice. I guess the last question we have is what does the future hold for Samuel? Um, I mean, look, we've got some. And alarm. Yeah, no, thanks. Um, I don't like to think too far ahead. Um, I think that's, that's, that's dangerous because again, the market moves so quickly, but we've got some exciting projects. So, you know, I mentioned Louise, um, Hallie Dandramana, we've got an office building in Hawthorne East. So some pretty exciting, diverse things that as the, as, as we've sort of grown. Um, but yeah, in terms of a company, I'm not looking to change too much. I think I found a nice little sweet spot in terms of the size of projects, the size of the team. Um, I don't personally have aspirations to, you know, be doing a thousand apartment projects and the like. Um, I think there's a because you do what you do good. There's yeah, no I was need about to say to I think there's a subtleness or a sophistication about just knowing your place. Um, 
I mentioned about hiring people and not wanting to be in the middle. I made a big effort to kind of jump up from that sort of smaller development, which look, they're not small, but there's certainly a more crowded space where we mentioned those micro brands can play and people can mm. come in and out where there might be realistically sort of anywhere between 10 and $50 million projects to sort of jump into a space that's probably more 70 to 120, which is a big number to me, but something that I'm comfortable that we can add the value and we can do the things the way we want to do it and spend the money to get the return. So I'm I'm enjoying being in that space. Um, I think the market has like a real second wind that's going to come that's going to make people really push and wish they had pushed earlier to have projects like we do have things in our pipeline because you can't turn yeah. the turn the switch quickly. So, um, yeah, I'm hopefully just looking forward to doing those projects, finding more that are similar and I guess more positivity in the market because I'm a pretty positive person but mm-hmm. it's hard on some days when there's so much negativity it's around It's hard there. lately. It's um, been difficult. So to, to have more of that constant swell will be really good because I think all of a sudden that will turn to that productivity piece mm-hmm. where people will be happy going back to work because they're, they're putting out less fires and they're actually getting things done. Getting, re- getting results, which yeah. is, yeah. Yeah, and that's how you get sort of yeah. gratification, satisfaction. Thank you so much for your time with oh. us this morning, Alan, and being so generous with it. And it's been an absolute pleasure. We've loved the conversation and... Yeah. Yeah, no, thank you both. I appreciate it. It's always nice to connect and great topics. So I hope the listeners enjoy. All right. We'll see you later. Thanks for listening. We hope that you've enjoyed this episode. Thank you also to our sponsors, Polkadot Property, a small but mighty marketing consultancy connecting people to place. And Scouted, your go-to for property and construction recruitment. To scout is to seek, to be scouted is to be found. If you'd like to get involved, you can reach out to Nikita and I at the masterplanpodcast at gmail.com. Make sure to like, share and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time. Bye.